All right. How many of you had a really good day today at the Lit Conference? Raise your hand. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. Good. I've had a great time, and I'm so thankful for, first of all, uh, all the folks that came and uh, the camps, the schools that came so that you could uh, present the ministries that the Lord has uh, you serving in. And I want to say a big thank you to all of our uh, workers who brought young people today. And I also want to thank all of you teens for coming. How many of you, this was your first time coming to the Lit Conference? Just raise your hand. Wow, wow, good number, good number. How many of you, you've been to at least two Lit Conferences? Okay, how many of you have been to five of them? Oh, look at that, okay, yeah, we got a couple back here. All right, well, we've had a really, really good time, and I know that it's easy for us to get tired and distracted and to not focus in this last session, and I want to encourage you, don't do that, because this last session is so very, very important. Now, I'm going to read the text before us, and then we're going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to be looking for a volunteer to help me with something. So let's go ahead and first of all, read the text. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39, and then we're going to go a little bit into chapter 12, verse 2. Here's what it says. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's bow together and ask the Lord to really speak to our hearts in these next couple of minutes. Father, I pray that the word of God would take root in our hearts. As we read the scripture, as we dig into the the very important details, I pray that you would help each person in this room tonight to remember these details. I pray that these truths would grip their hearts and that ultimately you would get the glory and what you do in their lives. I pray for your blessing on this time. Thank you for a wonderful, wonderful day. All the teaching, all the fun we've enjoyed, the fellowship we've had. Thank you for your blessing on this time. I pray that you would continue that work in us in these moments in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I need a volunteer to help me with something, but this can't be just any kind of volunteer. This has to be someone who is an athlete. Whoa, everybody's raising their hands up. But, you know, there's different kinds of athletics, all right? There's like, there's like the kind where you lift heavy stuff. There's the kind where you jump really high. There's the kind where you run really fast. And then there's the kind where you critique everybody else, right? I need someone that is a runner, a legit runner, someone who's really fast. All right, man, come on up here. Come on up here. All right. Now I need one more volunteer. I want my daughter to come up here. Adeline, come on up here. All right, what's your name? Jonathan. Jonathan, Pastor Joel. Thank you for helping me out here. This is my daughter, Adeline. 
Can you shake hands, guys? All right, here's what I need you to do. Come here, guys. <laughs> Can you guys see her? All right, this is the starting line, all right? It's also the finish line. You're going to race my daughter. <laughs> hey, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm for real here, okay? You think you can beat her? Wait, so this is the starting line and the finish line? This is the start. Yeah, not at the same time. You're going to have to run and come back. So, so you're going you're gonna to you're gonna, you're gonna loop around, come down the front, up the far right side, down the back. Don't run anybody over. Don't knock anything down. Come down this little side here, and then whoever crosses this line first is the winner. You think you could beat my daughter? I mean, I want you to beat my daughter, but do you think you can run faster than her? Are you sure? All right, man, here we go. All right, on the count of three. One, two. Uh, you guys don't want to see this. This is going to be embarrassing. You guys really want to see this race? All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. Before, before we run, I need you to help me with one more thing, Jonathan. I got some buckets over here. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I didn't tell you this, but you, you're, you're, you're a strong guy, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, grab that one right there. You, you got, you're not going to drop it, right? You, you're, getting ner- you're making me a little nervous. All right. We got that one. Right th- you got him? Yep. All right. You're going to run the race yeah. holding those buckets. Are you guys ready? On your mark. No, 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 no. You got to hold them while you run the race. You got this? You got this? All right, here we go. On your mark. Get set. Go. <laughs> hey, hey, Jonathan, 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 Jonathan. All right, go stand there. Hey, I want to say you did well. You did well. Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be able to sit down and not be shaking the rest of the time? All right, Pastor Josh, this this young man has earned himself a Chick-fil-A gift card. So, Jonathan, I want to ask you a question. I do believe that you can run fast. In fact, I'm, I'm impressed that you finished the job. Because if I'd have had this guy over here do it, he would have set the bucket down right there. Amen. How did my little daughter beat you in this race? <laughs> You're right. You had the weights. If you have the weights, it's not a fair race, is it? It's not. All right. <laughs> Give me five, man. Go sit down. Give me five. All right, all right. Now, now if I had to run against my daughter, it probably would have ended the same way. <laughs> except except I, might, I might need to go to the doctor when I'm done. <laughs> now, I want you to go back and I want you to look at these verses again. And don't miss what they're saying. In chapter 12, verse 1, he says this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us what? Lay aside every weight. 
and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What you just witnessed is a great illustration of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The fact is, there are a lot of people, maybe in this room right now, I know that these weights, and by the way, this, this is a lot of weight. I, I bet you it's, I don't know, it's pretty heavy. Any weightlifters in here, you come check it out later. But there's a lot of weight in here. And the fact is, even, even if I removed some of these weights, let's say I took out half of them, you would have still had the same thing happen. Now, if I would have left maybe like one in there, it's, probably, probably you would have beat her, Jonathan. But the simple fact is, a lot of people are trying to run the Christian life with weights. And those weights are keeping you from running the race that God designed for you. It's sad, but it's true. And you know what's amazing about it? You don't have to carry the weights. You don't have to carry them. And these verses tell us that not only do we not have to carry them, God commands us to lay them aside. And so what I'd like us to do, first of all, is think about this truth. You cannot run well with self-imposed weights. He says, let us lay aside every weight, okay? So basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, if you want to run the Christian life well, you don't say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep some of the weights and then I'm going to lay aside the other ones. I'm going to keep the ones that I want to keep, but then I'm going to run without this. You can't do that. He says, lay aside every, every weight. And you might say, well, what in the world is he talking about there? What are the kinds of weights that the writer of Hebrews could be talking about. Well, one of the things that we're going to see is that some of the things he talks about are specifically called sin, okay? And there are other things that maybe they wouldn't necessarily be considered sin, but what they do is they distract us. In other words, they themselves are not sinful, but our relationship to them, the way that we relate to them, that's where the sin comes in. I'll give you an example. The kinds of friends that we have, they themselves may not be terrible people, but our relationship to them becomes problematic. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I had several friends that were great friends, we're still lifelong friends, we continue to stay in contact with one another to this day. There are other friends that I had that, well, for a season, we played baseball together, we might have run cross country together, we were in the band together, we did different things together, but the truth is, our lives really have kind of grown apart, we don't really interact a whole lot at all. But there were certain friends that when I got together with them, they were bad for me, and I was bad for them. Very, very simple. They were bad for me, I was bad for them. You know why? Because all of a sudden we would do things we would have never considered doing if we were on our own or we were with different friends. They're the kind of people that we would start kind of getting distracted, we'd start going off and doing things that weren't, they weren't appropriate, they weren't right. And the simple fact is some of the weights that keep us from running the Christian life the way that we should are friendships that we have embraced that are not helpful to us. Now, when I say friendships we've embraced, I'm not saying that we should be rude and un unkind or difficult with people that maybe are not the best of friends. There's a difference between being kind to a person and that person being very close to you, 
where they carry your burdens, you carry their burdens, you get their ideas, and they give you your ideas, and you have this mutual connection that's very close. Because what ends up happening in our friendships is that when we begin to do things together, we begin to influence one another. So one of those weights that maybe, it doesn't, in the text he doesn't actually define these weights, one of those weights may very well be that there are certain friendships that need to change. What I mean by that is, this is not a close friend anymore. This is a person I'm kind to, it's a person that I genuinely love and I care for, but this is not a person who's going to influence the decisions I make. They're not going to influence the things that I love. They're not going to be directing my life. Another one that I want to mention is the potential weight of worldly habits, patterns. Now, when we talk about worldly habits and patterns, what we're saying is that in our life, there are certain things that we do them habitually. We do them over and over and over and over and over again. How many of you own a cell phone? Ooh, man, a lot. How many of you use your cell phone at least once a week? <laughs> How many of you, the first thing you do in the morning, oh, no, don't raise your hand for this one. How many of you, the very first thing that you do in the morning when you wake up is you pick up your phone and you check your social media? <laughs> There's some people going, uh-huh. In fact, you know, you can get a setting on your phone that will tell you what, what apps you go to first every single morning and how much time you spend on those apps every single day and how much time you spent on your phone that day. And it can actually categorize all those things for you. And you know what that might do? That might be a little embarrassing. I'm not talking about because the content that you're looking at is sinful. And I mean, that's a whole nother story. But just the fact that the very first thing we do in the day is we go straight to the phone and say, I wonder if I got any likes today. I wonder if I got any comments today. I wonder how many views I've gotten. And that's the very first place that we go in the morning. The fact is that the kinds of habits that you're developing right now as a teenager, whether you realize this or not, they're charting the course for the rest of your life. You realize that? I mean, just think about it this way. If the habits you're developing right now as a 14-year-old or as a 16-year-old or as a 12-year-old or whatever your age is, if those habits continue the way they are, what are you going to be when you're in your 40s? Ever thought about that? Like this stuff's not neutral. It's not like you just stay in the same place. You are moving in a direction. Every single person in this room is. You're moving in a direction. You're going somewhere. Those habits where are they taking you? It may be that there are some habits that today you sit down and you go, you know what? That's got to change. And, 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 and being totally frank about it, some of these habits might be habits that you say, I don't know if I have the power to change them by myself. I might need some real accountability. I might need to have a conversation with my dad. Or I might need to have a conversation with my mom. Or I may, may need to have a, a conversation with someone who can help me begin to develop the right kinds of habits. And so, the weight of wrong habits. Let me give you a third one. Sinful passions. Sinful passions. So we could talk about the habit of getting on social media all the time. We could talk about the habit of what we do and say, well, these are not necessarily sinful things. They might be wasteful things, which we could say was you know, wasting time. We're doing things we shouldn't be doing. 
but they're not in and of themselves necessarily sinful if they were in balance. But let's take it a step further. A lot of times those habits lead us to sinful, sinful expressions of those things. Like how many times is the habit of social media not the only problem? It's also the problem of what we view on social media, what we say on social media, the places we go on that phone. And that is going to hold you back in the Christian life. As long as you allow yourself to be entertained by filthy things, as long as you allow yourself to continue to develop habits that are going to be detrimental as you get older, as long as you continue to have close friends and associations who are really leading you in the wrong direction, guess what's going to happen? Those are going to be weights, just like Jonathan. Jonathan, he's faster and stronger than my daughter, but he wasn't even close. Why? Because of those weights. And the truth is, you may have a person, they've got, they've got a very very sound mind. They've had a great upbringing. They've gone to a good church. They've gotten, they've gotten so many opportunities, but because of these weights that they refuse to put off, guess what? It drags them down the rest of their lives. You cannot run the Christian life well with self-imposed weights. He then goes on later in verse one to say, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You cannot run well if you ignore your greatest weaknesses. Every single person in this room, because we are sinful people, there are certain areas in our life that they very easily beset us. Some of you, it might be that you have a tendency to be very lazy. Or some of you, it may be that you have a tendency to be very quick-tempered. Or maybe some of you, you have a, a, a temptation to overwork rather than to be lazy. Maybe it's an issue of sexual lust. It could be any kind of thing. We all have areas in our lives that we often struggle with more than others. And no two people are going to be the exact same in these areas. You know, just because you're a junior high boy sitting next to a junior high boy, sitting next to a junior high boy, doesn't mean you all are necessarily struggling with the same besetting struggles and sins. You may all be, but you may not be. And here's my question. Do you know what you struggle with day after day after day? What's that sin that before you go to bed at night, you go, God, forgive me, I did this again. I did this again. And it's like, in, in seven days in a week, you've done that five times, six times, seven times, 10 times. Besetting sins. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. One of those examples would be Different kinds of fear. Anybody afraid of the unknown? I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but just think about it. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what other people may think. Fear of how things are going to play out. The truth is, a lot of us kind of take this and we're like, you know, I guess I could be fearful because it's, it's a nasty world out there. It's a difficult world. So I guess I can excuse my fear of whatever it is. Yet God tells us he's not giving us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And some of us may need to take that brick of fear that's weighing us down and say, God, by your grace, I want to set it aside and I want to think biblically about these areas. How about greed? That's another big one. And you know, greed isn't just about money, folks. Greed's about stuff. Greed's about our re re reputation. 
Greed's about positions and opportunities that we get. Greed can go into all kinds of different areas. Greed is one of those sins that sometimes the person that you're looking at, they look like they got everything in a row, but they're consumed inside with greed. Discontentment, covetousness. And that greed and that covetousness is something that will drag you down in the Christian experience. Got to put it away. Yeah, there's some more. We had a lot of, gri- a lot of bricks in here. The, pier, uh, the, the, the brick, the weight of pride. In fact, many times we can be on one, or two, one of two sides of this. We could be in the position where, you know what, we feel like everything's terrible and life is miserable and nobody loves me and I don't have any opportunities and I go, woe is me, and I say there's no way I could ever be a proud person. On the other side, we've got everything working out for us and we are so full of ourselves. Pride is one of the most detrimental weights that can absolutely destroy any person. It destroys families, it destroys churches, it destroys work context. Pride is such a destructive sin. We continue on. How about self-centeredness and selfishness? We could talk about anger. We could talk about discontentment. The fact is that there are lots and lots and lots of different kinds of weights that beset the Christian and keep them from running the race the way that they should. But there is one sin that is at the root of all these things. And I set this out as this one right here. You know what this one is? (laughs) It's a gold nugget, guys. It's the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief is at the root of all these sins. The sin that my view of God and my view of self and my view of my circumstances, it's all interconnected with the sin of unbelief. And so as as this passage of scripture begins to close out, what the writer of Hebrews basically says is this, God wants you to run your waste well, but in order to do it, there are things in your life, you've got to take them and you've got to put them away. There are certain temptations that you are constantly dealing with and you've got to put those lustful passions to death. There are certain habits, there are certain things that you have entertained and you've excused and you've concealed and you've got to put them off. Third thing I want you to notice is that you cannot run well if you fail to prepare your mind to endure. Now, the Christian life is not a sprint, okay? It's not a sprint. Now, I'm 40 years old. To some of you, that means I'm very old. And some others of you, that means I'm very young, (laughs) okay? And when I think about it myself, I'm not sure that I'm quite sure how I categorize this because 40 years doesn't seem like a very long time at all. Now, I think back to what it was like to be in junior high. It feels like it was last year. But then I'm like, no, it wasn't. There's a lot that's going on there. I think about high school. I think about what it was like when I graduated high school or graduated from college. Or I think about what it was like when I got married or had my first child. And you know what? The truth is that time just flies by. But there's also a sense where sometimes time's really slow. When a person's got a sickness and they're in a lot of pain and they're going through a season of life that's very heavy and very dark and very discouraging. Life doesn't seem to be going fast at those times. 
it seems to be slow and painful and hard and dark. And here is the simple fact of the text in front of us. If we're going to run, we have to run with, here's the word, patience. Did you catch that? He said, run with patience. The race that is set before us. Now, there are a couple little phrases in that verse that I don't want you to miss. I don't want to just blow past this and miss them. The first phrase is the phrase, let us. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Can anybody tell me, is us in the singular or is it in the plural? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Yeah? Yeah! Plural! So is it like one person or is it more than one person? So then who is he talking about? Let us run. This is important. Don't miss it. The Christian life is not to be run alone. Did you catch that? The Christian life is not to be run alone. God created the church for a reason. He created the church because we need one another to grow and to thrive and to mature and to be built up. We need one another as we run this race. We need the body of Christ. I have seen this many, many times. When people are struggling inside, when they're weary, when they're tired, when they're discouraged, when they feel like quitting, when everything's dark, you know what the first thing they do is? They pull away from people. And you know which people they pull away from? The ones who'd be the greatest help to them in those moments. I mean, it's stunning, but it's true. You know what people need to do in a situation like that? They need to go to the wisest, most matured person they know, the strongest person they know, the godliest person they know, and say, I'm struggling. Can you talk with me about this? Can we pray together? What does the word of God have to say? We need each other in the church. Let us. And he says, run. He didn't say, you know, kind of walk. What's going on here? It's a great life, you know. Run. Run. My daughter's funny. I watched her running, and she was focused, man. She's like a little kid. She's focused. She's, she's running. And you know what? That's how you got to run when you're running a race. You got to be focused. You got to be willing to push yourself. You can't be willing to quit. And we need to pace ourselves. He says we are to run with patience. Now, I can remember this very well. I was in the fourth grade. And when I was in the fourth grade, it was the summer between my third grade and fourth grade year, our church would always have this annual 4th of July picnic in Florida, okay? 4th of July picnics in Florida are not fun. It's really hot. It's really humid. But that's what we did. And one of the big traditions at our church on the 4th of July picnic was there was a 5K race in the morning before the picnic. Now, you know, here I am, I'm a third grade boy. I told my dad, I'm going to run in the 5K race. And my dad's like, really? He's like, do you know how far a 5K is? I was like, five kilometers. He said, do you understand that? I said, no. He said, well, I'm going to help you get an idea. He said, there's a track out here, and you're going to go with me, and you got to run around this track 12 times. I was like, what? 12 times. And so my dad, he'd go, he'd go, he got his shoes, and he'd go run around the track 12 times to get ready for the race, and I'd kind of run, you know, the first lap, and then I'd walk the rest of the time and watch my dad do this. And we did this day after day after day, getting ready for the 5K race. Now, the big day came, and I can remember this very well. All these people lined up 
on the starting line and I got my 5K white t-shirt, 1993 or whatever it was. I don't remember what year it was. And I was just ready to go. Bang, they're running. The fastest guy there. I was right on his heels. <laughs> Here I am, and this little kid, I'm just like, he's just, he's too, 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 and I'm like, running as fast as I can. And you know how long that lasted? Probably about a minute and 30 seconds. And then after that, I started walking. And the rest of the day, I walked and I ran and I walked and I ran. Now, why did I do that? It's because I didn't pace myself. I, you know, as a kid, you don't have any concept of how long the race is going to be, the pace that you can handle, and all those things. You have no concept of that. And I was just doing what I didn't know what I was doing. But in the Christian life, you've got to learn to pace yourself. The Christian life is going to have highs. It's going to have lows. And in the high points, we've got to learn to to be balanced. And in the low points, we've got to learn to be balanced. And we need to surround ourselves by people who encourage us and strengthen us and help us to continue on the way. And that is the sense that he's giving. Let us run with patience. And then there's another phrase. The race that is set before us. Question. Who sets the race? Do we set the race? No. We make choices in the race. We, we can run well or run poorly in the race. But the race is something that God gives us. In this room, there are some people that you're going to live to be 80 years old, 90 years old. I don't know. We might even have a centurion in here for all we know. I don't mean right now, but, you know, some of you may live to be that old. It's very possible. Some of you may not live to be 30. Some of you may end up getting a job where you make a lot of money and you become very wealthy and you're very well known. And some of you, nobody ever know your name except your family, your local church, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you will get married and have a large family. Some of you may never get married. You may get married, you may never have a family. God may not give that to you. Some of you may have great health until a certain time, and then after that, it just, it's, you're never healthy again. <clears throat> Some of you may be healthy all the way up till the very day that you die. The fact is, we have no idea what we will encounter on this race called our lives. God is the one who sets the race. <clears throat> and you know what he does? He tells us to run it faithfully. He tells us to endure he tells us that we need to run with patience the race set before us. And so we have to learn when we're young to say, God, I don't know what I'm going to encounter in life, but day by day when I get up in the morning, I'm going to remind myself of a simple fact. God, today I'm in a race. I don't know how long it's going to be, and I don't know what I'll encounter today, but you've given me this race, and I'm going to run it to the best of my ability today. And then you go. And the next day, you do the exact same thing. And you do the next day the exact same thing. <clears throat> God wants us to run this waste well. The fourth truth and the final truth we'll see <clears throat> is that you cannot run well if you fail to remember Christ. In verse 2, he says this. We are to run by this way, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, there's a lot that we could say about those simple statements, but I'm going to break it down this way. The first statement, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, is very simple. In the Christian life, you cannot get distracted by the people around you and the stuff around you and all the stuff that's going to pull your attention. You've got to keep your eyes on one person. You know who that is? It's your Savior. He's the one who saved you. He's the one that tells you to follow him. He's the one that upholds you and strengthens you and builds you up as you go through this Christian life. He's the one that you're going to meet when it's all over. He could say, well done, good and faithful servant. Keep your eyes on Christ. The second thing that he mentions is this. Remember the kind of love that he has for you. He says, for the joy that was set before him. Now, don't miss this. Did Jesus enjoy the pain of the cross? Do you think he enjoyed feeling them drive nails through his hands and his feet? Do you think that that physical agony was something that he's like, yeah, bring it on. Is that what he did? Do you remember how he responded in the garden? He says, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. Why did he say that? Well, Jesus understood the incredible agony, the physical agony, the emotional agony, the weight of what was going to be accomplished on the cross. And what we see in that moment is Jesus is expressing from his heart the physical and the mental agony of the cross. So when he says, for the joy that was set before him, he's not talking about Jesus was happy about the nature of his death. You say, well, then what made it joyful? What made it joyful was what the cross was accomplishing. I mean, another illustration of this is when a woman is giving birth to a child, does she enjoy the pain of childbirth? I mean, I've been there at my wife's side for six births, one after another. I I never saw my wife smile in the middle of that. Never. Ah, In fact, it went the other way quite a bit. She's in a lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of suffering. But I will tell you that when she held our child in her hands, everything that had just happened, it almost like she totally forgot it. It's like the most incredible thing. She's looking at this child. She's like, oh, he's so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, kind of. She's so beautiful. I'm like, all right, that's great. Let's clean him up. He's not looking very good right now. <laughs> not at all. People say babies are cute. Oh, they get there. <laughs> it doesn't start that way, in my opinion. Very wrinkly and, oh, man. So what is it? What is it that causes that mother to smile? It's what, it's what the labor produced. All that suffering is what brought that precious child into the world. And so when it says for the joy that is set before him, Jesus rejoiced in the fact that you and I are redeemed to the Father by his sacrifice. He wasn't rejoicing in the agony of the cross. He was rejoicing in the triumph that the cross purchased. And that is an incredible thing to think about. Because you know what it does? It reminds us that that Savior would never let me go through something that doesn't have redemptive purpose in it. 
He loves me far too much. The third thing we see is we need to remember the sacrifice. It says he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus felt the weight of the cross and all that was there far more than we realize. I mean, when we're, when we're you know, little kids in junior church and we talk about the cross, we, we have no concept of the cross. And as we start getting a little bit older and we start realizing that this was an instrument of tremendous torture and pain and agony, we start getting a little bit greater sense of it. And then we start realizing there's a shameful side to it. And there's a tremendous pain that's associated with the cross. But what does it say? He endured it and he despised the shame. It was worth it to him. Why? Well, because of what it accomplished. And then he says lastly in verse 2, he says, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only did the cross give us access to the Father and remove our sin debt, but the cross established Christ in his rightful place of authority. And Jesus triumphed over death and sin. And we're going to experience all of eternity with him. You say, well, what's the point, Joel? Well, the point is that when we run the Christian life, we've got to look to him. And we've got to remember what he did for us. And we've got to remember what it accomplished for us. And what awaits us because of what he did. And we need to remember the love that moved him to do it for us. I want to encourage you so very simply, let us recognize that the Christian life is a race. And if we're going to run it well, we've got to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. And we have to run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus. Let's bow our hearts and ask the Lord to help us to do that. To ask, us, or ask him to help us to run our race in such a way. Let's pray. Father, the things that we have heard today, in fact, they're so needed. They're so practical. They're so glorious. I pray that you'd help every person in this room to run with patience the race set before them. If there's somebody in this room that needs to lay aside weights, that needs to lay aside sinful passions, besetting sins, I pray that they would take serious accounting of what is going on in their hearts and that they would take the action necessary to put off those things. They would take the steps needed to get the help they need if they need to get, get accountability in these areas. I pray that you will work in our hearts through what we have heard today. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.